Flies into Vaseline. Because that is often very much what we seem to be. We have a problem and we become perplexed. We eat the lies, as the song says. And we keep getting stuck in the same mire all the time. Because we know not where else to turn. We were not raised properly, our culture does not function properly, and we remain disaffected from our God, even though we have a promise of His grace and mercy. Hello, this is William Fink. This is the Christogeny European Forum. It's Monday, August 1st, 2011. Tonight, well, well I was actually um, requested to, to talk about healing. The charismatics aren't going to like me after tonight. 
that, that's I, I can't I can't apologize for that. That's just the way it is. Um, I, I also I, my 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 approach to the gospel and the Bible and the scripture has have, has always been very very practical. And um, it, even if I err, I'm going to remain practical, right? A couple of years ago, before we talk about healing, I'd like to talk about pharmacia or, or the the, the pharmaceutical industry. And, and in the 1600s, the King James translators usually translated the word sorcery. Well, well that doesn't mean that they were old-fashioned. That just means that that's the way they saw it. That's all that means. Today, we like to pretend that we're modern, that we understand um, chemistry and biology, and we know what these things are doing to, to our bodies, so therefore we can use them to manipulate our bodies in a manner which is beneficial to us. Well, well that's all a Jew lie. That, that's all a lie. The pharmaceutical industry kills more people than, than probably the, the war industry or, or the religion industry do. It, it's, that might be an exaggeration. But, but there's no doubt that the cures that the Jews and, and that the world, which lies under the power of Satan, that the cures which these people sell us are, are very often worse than the disease. I, my own father died of colon cancer um, two and a half years ago. Uh, of course, he ate pork all his life. That didn't have a damn thing to do with what with his colon cancer, right? And and drank beer and smoked cigarettes and all the other horrible things. Well, well, um, I, I saw him opt for the um, for the chemotherapy path, and and of course that just wasted him. It, it just killed him, and, and um, I, I'm not, I, I don't know if he'd have lived much longer without it, but it probably would have been a much less horrible death. Now, that's my guess, right? That there's a better way. The investment dollars don't go there because it's not profitable to the Jew. The... Um, that the endeavor to the pharmaceutical industry, that their, their primary endeavor is, is to um, discover cures, especially by natural means. Uh, I mean, that they, they search for plants and, and substances that, that seem to have positive effects on certain diseases. And when they, find, when they get lucky and they find one, they don't advertise it. They don't tell us what it is. They they don't. Um, that that becomes a a well guarded secret until they can synthesize the molecule. And when they synthesize the molecule, that they without well, without um, revealing the natural substance, they apply for a patent. And then they own that cure for, for 17 years, right? And, and maybe the natural substance, maybe someday it becomes known to, to the rest of us, or maybe it never does. Or, or maybe it never does what's advertised in the first place. Or, or maybe the natural substance works, 
and their synthesis of it doesn't work so well. Uh, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of things going on with the pharmaceutical industry. It's an evil industry. It, it either seeks to abscond and capitalize nature so that it could profit from the miracle, um, the, the miracle of God's creation on its own, or it just lies to people and, and ends up killing them in, in the name of healing them. It's an incredibly, um, uh, uh, from my viewpoint, evil industry. Uh, I can talk, right? Uh, I, I've, uh, I mean, it's easy for me to talk because I've never been sick. Praise Yahweh. I, I pray that I, I never do get sick, of course. But, but um, I, I don't have any crutches. I haven't taken a pill in um, 14 years. Or at least 12. But, uh, I mean, I'm not bragging in that. I'm only stating a fact. It's easy for me to criticize the pharmaceutical industry because uh, I've been fortunate and I'm in good health. And, and I'm going to talk about that tonight, too. So, so if, if you're dependent on pharmaceuticals, please don't get bent out of shape. That, that's why I played that song at the beginning of this program, right? Flies in the Vaseline. Because that's often exactly what we are. So... This is a paper I wrote a couple of years ago, I think um, maybe November 09, Christianity and Pharmaceuticals. The Greek words, pharmakon, pharmacus, and pharmakia, to attempt to pronounce it according to um, Strong's pronunciation guide, are usually rendered sorcerer or sorcery in the King James Version of the Bible. That version was translated by 1611, and ever since then, most theologians have followed in its footsteps and have kept the interpretations of the medieval Englishmen of that time, while the rest of the world has become modern and has updated its language. And I asked a rhetorical question, or have we? Have we really updated our language? Or are we just being deceived? Here are the definitions of those words from, from the Liddell and Scott Intermediate Greek-English Lexicon published by Oxford University Press, 1st edition, 1889. Pharmacon. A pharmacon is a drug, a medicine, as Homer used the term. The pharmaca applied outwardly were given names such as Christa, which is actually an ointment, right? Christos means the anointed one when it's used with a noun. That's the Christ, right? Well, well, it really its basic Greek meaning is an ointment or in this form or an anointing. Christa, egg Christa. Epichrista, different types of ointments, and, and they're only prefixed with, with different um, prepositions. And pasta, and, and pasta is a paste, right? Epipasta or cataplasta. That these are the names of various types of Greek pharmacon. So, so we see that they were ointments or pastes that were spread on various parts of the body. There were also pharmacon which were taken inwardly, 
and they were called brosima or potima, from which we get potion, right? Pota, pista, and the Heathcliffs and Euripides and Theocritus and Aristophanes all use these words. In a bad sense, the term was used, but here we have it in the medicinal sense. The medicinal sense is the primary use of the word pharmacon. So when we look at our Bibles and we see that, that word and related words, we can't imagine that it only pertains to witchcraft when the primary sense of, of the words ha has to do with, with what we would consider to be medicines. In a bad sense, the word can mean an enchanted potion, a charm, a spell, an enchantment, or, or a drug, or a poison. Or it could be a remedy or a cure, as Hesiod, who, who is from the 7th century B.C., used the word. Pharmakia is the use of drugs in Greek. It's also the use of potions and spells, as Plato used the word, for example. It, it could also refer to a poisoning or, or to witchcraft, you know, which would be the, the, the dispensation of, of, a, of a substance in order to pertain a certain object, right, to, to reach a certain goal with, with power over somebody, you know, whether it be to seduce a woman or, or to knock a guy out and take his wallet, right? Aristotle used the word pharmakia as to describe a remedy or a cure. And, and so did Hesiod and, and these other Plato and these other writers. Pharmacus is, a, a pharmacus describes the person. Pharmacon describes the drug, right? A pharmacus describes the person. Pharmakia describes the use of the drugs or, or the potions or spells. And, and a pharmacus is a poisoner a sorcerer or a magician, as the word is used in the New Testament, as what we see the King James translator, right? But it's really a dispenser of drugs. It's the person who uses or, or dispenses the pharmacon to others. That's a pharmacus, right? Now, now, Liddell and Scott gave only the New Testament as a source for their definitions for the use of the word pharmacus, and why they did not give any secular Greek definitions is simply because I believe they would have had to put the words apothecary, pharmacist, and druggist as the definition, and they avoided that. And that's very telling. Liddell and Scott totally avoided that and used only New Testament definitions to tell us what a pharmacus was. And they are the, um, you know, the definitions that are more medieval and, and look at a pharmacist as a sorcerer. I just don't believe that, I just think that by um, 1889 it was politically incorrect for Liddell and Scott to point out and, and basically demonize the entire pharmaceutical industry, which was already um, under the influence of the, the Jewish bankers the Rockefellers and, and other like background individuals. The large ninth, scholarly ninth edition of the Liddell and Scott Greek-English lexicon does the same thing. It defines this word pharmacus in, in this sense identically and citing only the Septuagint and the New Testament, even though it cites 
the secular Greek writer Herodianus on the pronunciation of the word. It doesn't tell us how he used it. This is the only time that I've seen Liddell and Scott limit their definition of a word to the manner in which the Bible translators have treated it when the word also appears in Greek writers outside of the Bible. And there's one other sense of the word pharmacus that, that I'll discuss below. I'm going to give a lengthy citation concerning physicians from Strabo's geography so that we understand how the, the, um, the Greeks saw the physician and, and the, the druggist and, and the use of drugs, right? That this is from Strabo's Geography, Book 15, Chapter 1, Line 60. And Strabo wrote, and, and he, he did most of his writing during the life of Christ. He died in 25 AD, which, you know, Christ, just before his ministry began, right? Um, Strabo was, um, was a Greek geographer. And here I quote, as for the Garmains, he says that the most honorable, Strabo's quoting another author, of them are named the Hylobi, and that they live in forests, subsisting on leaves and wild fruits, clothed with the bark of trees and abstaining from wine and the delights of love, and that they communicate with the kings who through messengers inquire about the causes of things, and through the Hylobi, Worship the Holobi being a tribe of people. Worship and supplicate the divinity, and that, after the Holobi, the physicians are second in honor. And that they are tribe in the sense of caste, which is the way it's used in Greek very often. The physicians are second in honor, and that they are, as it were, humanitarian philosophers, men who are of frugal habits, but do not live outdoors and subsist upon rice and barley groats, which are given to them by everyone of whom they beg or who offers them hospitality. Evidently, physicians didn't have a great living in, in this one region Strabo talks about. And that though sorcery, I'm sorry, and that through sorcery or the dispensation of drugs, they can cause people to have numerous offspring and to have either male or female children, and that they cure diseases mostly through the means of cereals and not through the means of medicaments, medicines, and that among their medicaments, their ointments and their poultices are most esteemed, but that the rest of their remedies have much in them that is bad, and that both this class and the other practice such endurance, both in toils and perseverance, that they stay in one posture all day long without moving, and that there are also diviners and enchanters who are skilled in both the rites and the customs pertaining to the deceased, and go about begging alms from village to village and from city to city. So we see that Strabo is not confusing these dispensers of medicines with diviners and enchanters, right? That they're a separate cast of people as he describes the people of, of the, this area. And that there are others more accomplished and refined than these, but that even these themselves do not abstain from the common talk about Hades, hell, insofar as it is thought to be conducive to piety and holiness, and that women as well as men study philosophy with some of them, and that the women likewise abstain from the delights of love. Well, well 
claiming they abstain from sex. The bottom line is that uh, I wanted to show that Strabo can talk about um, men who called physicians who can dispense medicines and, and pastes and, and ointments and poultices for medicinal, for medicinal purposes, both internally and externally. And he talks about them separately from his conversation concerning diviners and enchanters, right? So Strabo's not confusing those things. And, and that's, he, he spoke about these physicians and, and their dispensation of medicine in and, and what could be considered for the first century a rather scientific manner, and he doesn't confuse them with, with witch doctors and, and um. And, and diviners and enchanters, right? That, that's my point in quoting that particular passage. The word for sorcery, which Strabo used, is that the, the translator translated sorcery, is pharmacon. And note that Strabo uses it of physicians and of their medicaments or medications. However, those who practice divining and enchanting are discussed separately following the discussion of the physicians. So therefore, sorcery describes the use of pharmaceuticals, of medicines, and it doesn't describe magic or divining arts. Strabo talks about them in that passage separately. The word pharmakia, from the above definitions and examples which I've given, means little else but the use of drugs, whether taken internally or applied topically, as we've seen in the dictionaries and in Strabo, and that's just one example, but there are many. And, and therefore, it's, it's clear to me that our word pharmaceutical and all the related words, that they were derived from these Greek words, both in the, their meaning and, and their substance, and they bear the same meanings that the Greeks use them. In, in which the Greeks use them. Our language really isn't modern at all. We, we like to think it's modern because the King James translators considered the use of drugs to be sorcery. And they were probably right. It's a shame that we don't consider that today because our language is the same concerning these things as the Greeks, and very often our science is not better. It may be argued that a pharmaceutical is a drug and not a potion, and that the Bible is only talking about potions. That argument is entirely subjective, as we've just seen. The Bible makes no such distinction, but talks about pharmakia in general. There is absolutely no proof supporting any such distinction between what we consider drugs and what the King James translators considered potions or sorceries, well, which is also how a lot of the translators of classics translate those words, as we just saw with Strabo. The distinction did not exist at all anywhere until the foundation of the modern pharmaceutical industry and the money of the international bankers who created it. But that doesn't mean that they're doing better. Here, I'll give all the scripture references where the words 
pharmakia, pharmakon, uh, appear in the New Testament, and this is from the Christogonian New Testament, Revelation 9, verses 20 and 21, and the rest of the men, those who had not been killed by these plagues, did not even repent from the works of their hands, that they do not worship demons and idols, things of gold and things of silver, and things of copper and things of stone and things of wood, things which are able neither to see nor to hear nor to walk. And they did not repent from their murders nor from their drugs, that word is pharmacon, nor from their fornication nor from their thefts. Revelation 18, verse 23. And the light of a lamp shall not shine in you hereafter. Talking about fallen Babylon, right? And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you hereafter. Because your merchants were the great men of the earth. Because by your pharmacia, by your pharmaceuticals, have all the nations been deceived. Take a pill for it. You don't need God. Revelation 21, verse 8. But for the cowards and the faithless and abominable and murderers and fornicators and drug makers, the word pharmacus, and idolaters and all those who lie, their fate is burning in the lake in fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And I'll make the point later, I believe, that like sin in the first epistle of John, it's the drug makers who bear the burden here, right? Revelation 22, verse 15. Outside are dogs and druggists. The word is pharmacus, a dispenser of drugs. Outside are dogs and druggists and fornicators and murderers and idolaters and all who love and make a lie. Galatians, chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. Manifest are the deeds of the flesh. Such things are fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry. Use of drugs. That word is pharmakia. That's the use of drugs. Hostilities, contention, rivalry, wrath, intrigues, dissension, sex, envyings, drunkenness, revelries, and things like these, revelries, and things like these which I have announced to you beforehand, just as I have said before, that they who practice such things shall not inherit Yahweh's kingdom. For the purposes of this paper, and to me that means that what we may as well give those things up because we won't be doing them in the kingdom, right? For the purposes of this paper, I am only going to cite one Old Testament reference for the use of the word pharmakia, and that's Isaiah 47.9 from the King James Version. And I quote, But these two things shall come to thee in a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon thee in their perfection for the multitude of thy sorceries and for the great abundance of thine enchantments. Now, how can sorceries be connected to the loss of children and to widowhood? And, and I would suggest that we think about birth control pills, that we think about the declining birth rates which many tie 
what which many people in 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 in, in the um the holistic movements even and 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 many people that that prefer organic foods and homegrown foods and and natural substances to medicines that they those people tie these declining birth rates to modern chemical and pharmaceutical industries and and very often the mainstream scientific community even admits that. Think about the premature deaths of so many people who have substituted fast food and prescription drugs in place of sound nutrition and exercise, perhaps. Do we see a problem today with wizards and sorcerers deceiving all of the nations? This is talking about the fall of Babylon in Isaiah 47. Isaiah 47 is talking about the same thing that the Revelation did, where it said that all the nations were deceived by your sorceries, your, 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 your promotion of pharmaceuticals everywhere. Turn on your television set. If you turn on your television set right now, prime time, the commercials come on, five, six, seven commercials run, half of them are drug commercials. Half of them are commercials for pharmaceuticals. I would bet there's a damn good chance of that. If I'm not right, I'm close. Open up a Reader's Digest and, and flip through it, or a People magazine, and, and uh, I mean it's straight garbage, right? But I've done this just to see. And, and half of the advertising has to do with pharmaceuticals. Take this for that, and take that for this, and, and um, I'm not even going to go any further than that because it gets disgusting after that. How can sorceries be connected to the loss of children and to widowhood as Isaiah 47.9 connects it? Think about birth control pills. Think about declining birth rates, which many tie to modern chemical and pharmaceutical industries. Think about the premature deaths of so many people who have substituted fast food and prescription drugs in place of sound nutrition and exercise. We don't have a problem today with wizards and sorcerers deceiving all the nations as we have just read in Isaiah and Revelation. We do have a problem with the entire world being captivated by a need for drugs. If we read all of Isaiah chapter 47, one should realize with certainty that it is much the same as the language we see in Revelation chapter 18, where pharmakia is also condemned, and that both chapters are talking about the same thing, the condemnation of the great whore and mystery Babylon. The Christian should look to Yahweh his God for healing protection or deliverance from evils and from enemies and for a long and healthy life. Those very things are promised to those who keep his laws. For instance, the commandment at Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 states, Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land 
which Yahweh, thy God, gives thee. And the law also states, as Paul quotes in Leviticus 18.5 and at Romans 10.5, Moses writes of the justice which is from of the law that a man who practices these things shall have life by them. It is no mistake that our English-speaking forebears use the word crisis to describe what evils befall a man. The word crisis is directly from the Greek word krisis, which means judgment. Our English-speaking ancestors understood that when calamity befell somebody, that that was a judgment of God, therefore they called it a crisis, because the Greek word krisis is judgment. When men circumvent the laws of their God and Creator, they are forced to seek their own remedies for the resultant evils which befall them. Hence the search for pharmacia in order to solve our troubles. This has opened a veritable Pandora's box, and our society's dependence on pharmaceuticals grows larger and larger with each passing day. We have become so alienated from our God and have strayed so far from his laws that even our infant children are pumped with all sorts of unnatural substances almost as soon as they are born. And these things have had reper repercussions in our lives today. And, and that's why a lot of us need drugs today. We as a people have become drug-dependent at every stage of our lives. Drugs have become our escape, both from the realities of life and from the natural punishments resulting from our deviant behavior. But that escape is only a temporary illusion, for we know not what greater damage we have brought upon ourselves as a result of our turn away from God and toward our own devices. When man was created, he was told that every green herb was for him for food. There are thousands, there are thousands of natural remedies that are useful for alleviating various ailments or which act as, and this is more important, or which act as preventatives for those ailments. But very little capital is put into the development of the knowledge of these remedies. And I'm sure that thousands of years ago, and, and it's very clear from Scripture that our ancestors understood these many of these remedies, right? And, and we've lost that. We've lost that knowledge. The reason for this the reasons for this are solely economic. Investment bankers cannot control what grows out of the ground. And once the studies are done and the results are published, the prospects for financial profit are quite dim. The people will simply grow their own cures. 
pharmaceutical companies scour the globe looking for naturally occurring substances, especially in the plant world, and examine what those substances may be good for. Once a discovery is made, the drug companies strive to guard the information, and then they synthesize the substance, hoping to then profit from it once they can patent it. Christians, in turning away from Yahweh their God, have now put their health and their lives into the hands of the Antichrist Jews. And what good will ever come from that? None whatsoever. Pharmaceuticals and the law of clean and unclean foods. Whatever you ingest into your body in any manner is, in essence, a food. Even the ancients knew that blood contained digested foods, which then circulated throughout the body, nourishing its members. There's historical proof of that. One citation is at Livy, History of Rome, Book 2, Chapter 32, Lines 9 to 12. Injecting pharmaceuticals into your bloodstream is the same as injecting them into your cellular food supply. You are eating them. These pharmaceuticals, and especially vaccines, contain agents which you may otherwise never eat. Mercury, for instance, or cultures from the dead body parts of unclean animals, are regularly used in vaccine production. These all violate the laws handed down to Christians by Yahweh their God. And these laws should still be governing Christians unto this very day. By receiving injections, one is basically eating unclean foods, even though he is bypassing the usual digestive process. And to consider the very nature of these unclean foods used in the production of vaccines and other medications, any normal person would grow ill at even the thought of eating such things. Very strangely, and, and this is... This, to me, is proof that God is the author of language. Very strangely, the word pharmacus, which basically in Greek means a dispenser of drugs, also had another use in ancient Greek. And Liddell and Scott offer another definition for that sense of the word in their definition of pharmacus, part two. And I quote, one who is sacrificed as an atonement for others, a scapegoat. And at, this, at, at one time, worthless fellows were reserved for the state. Therefore, the word pharmacus became a general name of reproach. And it was used, in that sense, in the writings of Aristophanes, perhaps the 4th century B.C., I believe. I haven't read Aristophanes but also in Demosthenes and in the Iliad, 7th century B.C. When are Christians going to learn that Christ is their only true pharmacon? And this is an amazing facet to me of the Greek language, that this word was used, and it was used in this sense. Christ was sacrificed as a, as, as a propitiation for our sins, which fits the Greek, the ancient Greek use 
in this manner of the word pharmacon. And, and that's amazing to me. He is our drug. He is our healer. That's what a pharmacon is, a dispenser of, well, we would hope healing medicaments, right? All pharmaceuticals are unchristian and contrary to the laws and the will of Yahweh our God. Christ is our only legitimate pharmacon. Well, I put this article out, I ended it there. But I wasn't considering those people who, like the song that I played at the beginning of tonight's segment, what were stuck like flies in the Vaseline. I really didn't have them in mind. And there are plenty of them. There's a lot of us that, that, um, that require certain pharmaceuticals, or we think we do. And, and we may, but we just don't have a substitute. We have an ailment, and we don't know what to use. So we turn to the, these medical doctors and their drugs, right? And, and I put this that this first article out. Many people made further inquiry or, or were even upset because they have already been captivated by the pharmaceutical industry by one means or another. And, and I stand by my article, and I stand by my position on ph pharmacia, on pharmaceuticals. Even if it doesn't address the immediate needs of people in general, It's wholly scriptural. But here I will also attempt to put some things into perspective for those who are currently victims of the medical pharmaceutical complex. Because those people don't need to do anything rash, right? You don't want to tell... I mean, you know the pills are evil, but you don't have a substitute. Or, or, and, and they might be doing what they advertise, so you don't want to just take them and, and, and toss them down the trash. If we start out on the wrong foot, sometimes we just have to stay that way until we do have a way out. Paul told the Corinthians, a bondman, have you been called? It must not be a concern to you. But then if you have the ability to become free, rather, you use it. For he who is called a bondman and and the Lord is a bondman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is called a free, he who is called free is a bondman of Christ. And, and I would cite this same passage for those who were caught in um, marital relationships that didn't start out according to the ideal of the law, right? In the paper I wrote, Sin in the First Epistle of John, I said this, commenting on 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 12. All men sin. As we have seen John himself state in 1 John, verse 10. As Paul also stated at Romans 3.23. And therefore, we, where John says that he who sins is of the devil, John can't, be possibly, John can't possibly be stating that all men are of the devil. The children of Israel, who are the children of Yahweh, 
have an advocate in Yahshua Christ, even if they do sin, as John already told us in his epistle, the same epistle, in chapter 2, in verses 1 through 2 and, and 2.12. Yet here in John, 1 John chapter 3, John uses a phrase which he did not use in 1 John chapter 2 in respect to sin. In 1 John chapter 2, where John says that if we sin, we have an advocate in Christ, John only used the verb, hamartano, to describe the act of sinning. Where in 1 John chapter 3, where the King James says, he who sins is of the devil, there's another verb there, poieo, which is used in conjunction with the noun hamartia to describe the practice or even the creation of sin. This is a very important distinction, which I'm going to continually stress, because all of the mainstream translations lose it. They all lose it. In 1 John chapter 3, John's talking about those who create sin, not simply those who sin. And the Greek language proves it. In 1 John 3, John means to describe the practice or the creation of sin in verses three, four, chapter 3, verses 4, 8, and 9. And so John's intent must be distinguished from and understood within the context of his earlier remarks concerning Israel and sin, where he says that even if the children of Israel do sin, they have an advocate in Christ. So it should be obvious that in 1 John chapter 2 and in 1 John chapter 3 that John it is um, distinguishing the occasional sinner from the author of sin. In 1 John 2, he references the occasional sinner. In 1 John chapter 3, John is talking about the authors of sin. John doesn't mean when he says that he who creates sin is of the devil... And that's really what the Greek says there. John doesn't mean the fool who lusts and buys a pornographic video or a magazine. He means the pornographer. He doesn't mean the weak or sickly man who has nowhere to go and turns to drugs. He means the drug manufacturer because the drug manufacturer has hidden, in many cases, the real natural cure. John doesn't mean the desperate man who takes out a usurious loan. He means the usurer himself. All men have weaknesses which they are entrapped by at one time or another. For instance, Paul's warning at Galatians 6.1 to correct each other humbly lest we also be tempted in the same manner, right? One who is tempted by such weaknesses is not a devil. No Israelite is a devil or of the devil. The authors and creators of sin, they are of the devil. And history reveals to us who they are. It's the panderers who are the evil men, not the weak. 
Understanding all of this context in the context of Scripture, I wouldn't advise anybody that feels that they need a pharmaceutical to act rashly. I would not want you to run and flush your insulin down the toilet. Of course, neither can I give medical advice. I can only present the scriptures as they were given in the context of the culture and the history of the times. Paul is cited as having said, A bondman, have you been called? It must not be a concern to you. And so you should not be distressed if you are currently held captive by one drug or another. Yet Paul's admonition to those who are held captive is that if you have the ability to become free, rather, you use it. For many elements, there are natural remedies, and we do know what they are, or we can find out what they are. That knowledge, Some of that knowledge is within our reach, right? And one should seek those, if he can, and in conjunction with a pure heart and honest prayer, seek also the mercy of our Father, that you may be freed from your captivity. If one is not in a position to do those things, then it would be best simply to realize and to admit that one is a captive, but do not trouble yourself over it. And likewise, with a pure heart and honest prayer, seek the mercy of our God. I'm going to talk about healing for a few minutes. And I just threw these notes together before the program. It's nothing special. But, but it will encapsulate my opinion on healing. I'm going to quote Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 9, because this is always mentioned in, in, in the context of, of, of what I might call miraculous healing. And, and, you know, the apostolic healing of the New Testament. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of Yahweh revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. This is an entirely messianic prophecy, right? And as a root out of the dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Now, I would interject that if one sees redemption on the personal level, which is exclusive in the mainstream sex, right? And that's how they teach redemption. One may imagine this to be talking about a personal healing. But I do not read it that way. I read it 
as a national healing. It's talking about our healing as a people. And the subsequent verse, I believe, demonstrates that. And, and the verses, once they are understood in the biblical context, the next verse says, verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. It's talking about the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's talking about those Ezekiel chapter 34 lost sheep. It's talking about the nation collectively. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I missed a, a verse. We have turned everyone to his own way, and Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He, he's dying for the healing of the nation. And not necessarily for the healing of each individual as we get ill, because if we continue to violate his laws, if we continue to flaunt the the um the manner in which he requires us to live, that then we we can't have we we don't have a um a mystical protection from getting sick. And, and I'll discuss even illness amongst people who are perceived to be holy in a few minutes, because often it's for another reason. Verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opens not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his, I would translate this next word, birth, not generation. Who shall declare his birth? For he was cut off from out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Now that's a holy messianic prophecy, descriptive of, of the life of Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf. But whenever we look at the prophecies of, the, of, of that sacrifice elsewhere, in Jeremiah, in Daniel, in Isaiah, we see that the promise is to the nation, and the, the scope of the line, and with his stripes we are healed, I would say, it's my opinion, that that has to do with the nation a lot more than it has to do with the individual. I would like to read 1 Peter 2, verses 18 through 25, because Peter also quotes this same line from Isaiah. Servants, subject yourselves with all fear to your masters, your earthly masters, not only to the good and reasonable, but also to the crooked. This life is about trial. For this is a benefit... If through the consciousness of Yahweh one endures suffering, grief, unrighteously, for what sort of report is doing wrong and being beaten will you submit? But if doing good and suffering you submit, this is a benefit before God. Indeed, for this you have been called. 
because Christ also had suffered on your behalf. We're called into this world, Peter is explaining, in order to suffer. <laughs> well, in other words, we have no promise of a healthy and long life. We're called into this world to accept the trials that Yahweh has chosen for us to undergo. And we will learn from them. Indeed, for, in, for example, in order that you would follow in his footsteps, who had not committed wrong, nor had guile been found in his mouth, but who, being abused, had not abused in return, suffering had not made threats, but surrendered to him, judging righteously. In other words, surrendered to the will of God, who himself carried your errors on his body upon the cross, that the errors being taken away, meaning sins, we should live in righteousness, by whose wounds you are healed. For you were as sheep wandering astray, but you must now return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The healing is at the spiritual level and the national level, as well as the individual level. But I would say that the spiritual level and the national level far outweigh the needs of the individual. There's a lot going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But this theme of, of national, or, or the healing of the assembly, if I could term it in that way, and whenever I say national, I mean racial. Nodis is to be born. There's a lot going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, but the theme of national healing is found there also. And I'm going to quote from verse 17. Now, giving this message, this is Paul, I do not commend you because you have gathered not for the better, but for the worse. Indeed, in the first place, if you're gathering in the assembly, I hear of divisions rising among you, and to some degree I believe it. For there must also be sects among you, in order that those who are approved will become evident among you. However, if you're gathering into one place, it is not to eat the supper of the Lord, O Prince. Each beforehand, and, and Paul's scolding these people to, for making the that they're making the assembly of Christians into what the Greek love feasts were. And the people um, brought sumptuous meals to these feasts and these pagan gatherings and, and basically didn't share them, right? That they didn't share them. And those who were rich what were elevating themselves above those who were poor rather than having communion with them. Paul scolding them for that. However, if you're gathering into one place, it is not to eat the supper of the prince. So much for Catholicism. Each beforehand takes his own supper in there to eat, while some hunger, while one hungers, then another is intoxicated, so they're bringing wine with them, right? Now, do you not have houses in which to eat and to drink? In other words, if you can't have proper communion, eat at home. Or do you think contemptuously of the assembly of Yahweh and disgrace those that have not? What should I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? I do not commend you. For I have received 
from the prince, from Christ, that which I have also transmitted to you, that Prince Joshua, in the night in which he had been taken and handed over, took wheat bread and giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is handed over. What which is for you, you do, you do this in remembrance of me. And in like manner also the cup, along with the dinner, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. This you do as often as you may drink in remembrance of me. And then Paul says, Indeed, as often as you may eat this wheat bread and you may drink this cup, you declare the death of the prince until he should come. In other words, Paul is saying that every time we eat, we eat in the memory of Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf. This isn't some Sunday thing for, 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 for one hour concocted by a priest in a ritual in church, right? Paul's talking about every meal. That's communion. And the real body and blood of Christ are the people sitting around the table. And we're about to demonstrate that. Consequently, this is 1 Corinthians 11:27. Consequently, whoever would eat the wheat bread or drink the cup of the prince unworthily, Paul's talking about the communion at every meal, right? Will be liable of the body and the blood of the prince. Whoever would drink the, the, the cup and eat the wheat bread unworthily. In other words, if we go read um, Peter and Jude, that they talk about those who, who have, uh, are descended from those apostates of old, those wandering clouds, those broken cisterns, who surreptitiously steal themselves into our assemblies and commune with us unworthily. Peter calls them what? Spots in your feasts of charity. In other words, the wolves who were not the children of Israel, right? That's what Paul's talking about here, is the same thing that Peter spoke about in his first epistle. And understanding that, once this is properly translated, and, and it's, it, it is enigmatic language, and we have to stop and consider everything that's going on here, because it's a complex, it's a complex verse. It's a complex paragraph. Consequently, whoever would eat the wheat bread or drink the cup of the prince unworthily, the spots in our feasts of charity, right, will be liable of the body and blood of the prince. In other words, they're proving when they sneak in and try to commune with us that they're the ones that killed Christ, right? But a man must scrutinize himself, and thus from of the bread let him eat, and from of the cup let him drink. For he that is eating and is drinking... Eats and drinks condemnation for himself, not distinguishing the body. In other words, we're told to distinguish the body of Christ. For this reason, there are among you many feeble and sickly, and plenty have died or plenty have fallen asleep. When we're feeble and sickly, it's a result of, as Paul says, our punishment for not distinguishing the body of Christ. If then, and, and the King James really drops this word, they really screw this up. 
because they take a word that means to make a distinction and they translate it to judge. But it, it it's the verb crino, and it's the verb crino with a prefix ana, which mean anacrino means to make a distinction. It means to to separate one thing from another is what it means. And the King James has dropped the ball on this on this clause. If then we made a distinction of ourselves, perhaps we would not be judged. But being judged by the prince, we are disciplined in order that we would not be condemned with the society. Quite often when we get sick, there's a reason for it. Consequently, my brethren, gathering in to eat, you await one another. If anyone hungers, he must eat at home. Because they obviously couldn't share, that they weren't being very Christian. In order that you would not gather for condemnation, and the other things, when I should come, I will set in order. By the stripes of Christ, we as a nation, we as a people are healed, but not necessarily individually. If we would listen to Christ, we would love our own ethnic brethren. We would learn to distinguish ourselves from the aliens. We would learn to make a distinction of ourselves from the people in the world around us that we really shouldn't be communing with. And then we would have a lot less sickness in the world. Yeah, you know, the apostles, and, and Clifton's made this point very often, the apostles had gifts, gifts of healing, and, and the ability to restore sight to the blind. And that's called, I, I believe in the prophecy, and, and Clifton wrote on this topic, the early reign of Joel. It might be Amos, I might really be screwing up here, but I think it's Joel. That's the early reign, and we're also promised a later reign. And the later reign is not the early reign, right? That they're for different purposes, these two reigns. Paul called it the deposit of the Spirit. Paul called what those gifts that the, the apostles had the deposit of the Spirit. And it seems to me that the Apostle John agrees where he says in, in 1 John 1, 11 and, 12, 11 and 12, that as many as believed in him, he gave to them the power that the children of Israel would come to have. Those gifts of healing are something that the children of Israel are to attain, but we don't have them yet. We haven't had them since the apostolic period. The apostles had them for a particular purpose, to demonstrate the power of God so that the people of the time would hear the gospel. So we see in Acts chapters 5, and Acts chapter 9, that the apostles, and, and there are two examples, the apostles did heal lame and blind and sick and crippled people. There should be no doubt. 
But that was never handed down from them to anybody else. Let's talk about Paul's eyesight. Talking about sickness. Yeah, you know, this is important because in the Greek world, in, in, in the ancient Hellenistic period, there was great emphasis placed on the physical perfection of the body. Cripples and, and people with defects were looked down on. And Paul's bad eyesight, which, you know, that's the shape his eyes were in since his um, conversion on the road to Damascus, that was a source of great shame to him. That comes out in several of his opinions. I'm going to quote from... Um, I think this is in Galatians. I'm not sure. I didn't write it down. I will boast on behalf of such a man, but I, I'm sorry, this is in Corinth. This is to Corinthians. I will boast on behalf of such a man, but I will not boast on behalf of myself unless in respect of weakness. If perhaps I should desire to boast, I would not be foolish. Indeed, I speak truth, but I am sparing. Unless anyone would reckon in regard to me more than what he sees of me or whatever he hears from me. And in order that I would not be exalted in the excellence of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh has been given to me, an adverse messenger. That This is where the King James translates it, a messenger of Satan, right? It's an adverse messenger. That it would strike me in order that I would not be exalted. Three times I exhorted the prince. In other words, three times he prayed fervently to Yahshua. Three times I have exhorted the prince concerning this, that it may depart from me. In other words, that his eyesight would be healed. And he told me, my favor is good enough for you, since the power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I store still more boast in my weakness, in order that the power of Christ would dwell upon me. On which account I am well pleased with weaknesses, with injuries, with torments, with persecutions, and difficulties on behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am powerful. It is obvious to me, from reading this, that Paul was telling us that Yahweh did not want the gospel to spread by the strength of man so that on no man would what would it be forced upon, right? Therefore, Yahweh took a man who was weak, Paul of Tarsus, and used him as the first vessel through which he spread the gospel to the dispersed of the children of Israel, which is who Paul went to, and that's, that's only who he went to. But, but he used a man who had this sickness, that this, he was practically blind. At the end of Galatians, Paul writes, Do you see in how large letters I write with my own hand? Paul couldn't even write his own epistles. And he only wrote that short salutation at the end of Galatians. It's apparent 
that the young man who fell from the window in Acts chapter 20 may or may not have been healed on account of Paul. I'm going to read the account. And on the first day, reading from verse 7, and on the first day of week, upon our gathering to break bread, Paul conversed with them. Being about to leave the next day, his speech extended until midnight. And there were many dormers in the upper room where we were gathered. And there was a certain young man named Eutychus sitting by the window, being weighed down in deep sleep. Upon Paul's conversing further, weighed down by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up for dead. But going down, Paul fell upon him and embracing him said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. Then going up and breaking bread and eating and talking at length until dawn, thusly he departed. And they brought the youth alive and were comforted without measure. So this man fell from the third story window. And Paul embracing the man, running down to the ground from three floors and embracing the man, the man lived. Well, we may attribute that to the man's miraculous lack of injuries from the fall or to Paul's, um, through, to Yahweh's healing the man through Paul. That's arguable. It can't really be told from the text as I read it. But Paul could not heal Epaphroditus, his fellow worker. And I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 27. Yet I suppose it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, and companion in labor, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all. And Paul said it was, he, he wanted to send them, right? He wanted to send Epaphroditus to see the Philippians. And Epaphroditus wanted to go, right? For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that you had not heard that he had been sick. For indeed, he was sick near unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. What Paul is explaining is that he wanted to send Epaphroditus to the Philippians, and Epaphroditus wanted to go, but his illness prevented him, and Paul couldn't do anything about it. Neither could Paul heal Trophimus. Trophimus was another one of Paul's fellow workers. And here I'll quote 2 Timothy 4.19. It's the last chapter of 2 Timothy. It might be 3.19. I didn't write it down. Sorry. I'm not a, an expert on chapters and verses. I'm really not. Greet Prisca and Acua and the household of Onesiphorus. Arrestus has stayed in Corinth and Trophimus I left behind in Miletus being sick. You must hurry to come before winter. Eubulus and Pudus and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren greet you. The prince is with your spirit. Favor be with you. Now Paul's writing this from Rome. 
And Paul had gotten to Rome via Palestine, where he was for a couple of years, right? He was in, in, in the governor's house under house arrest in Judea for a couple of years before he was sent to Rome. And he's telling Timothy that he had left Trophimus behind in Miletus. And that had to be when he was in Miletus in Acts chapter 21 before he went to Jerusalem for that last visit to Jerusalem. So we see that Paul, probably three years or four years later, this could very well be four years later, that he's writing Timothy from Rome, says that he had left Trophimus behind in Miletus sick. So it's evident that Paul could not miraculously heal Trophimus. I'm sure he prayed for him. But he had to leave him behind in Miletus, sick. James chapter 5, verse 13. One who suffers ill among you must pray. One who is cheerful must sing. One who is sick among you must summon the elders of the assembly, and they shall pray for him, anointing him with olive oil in the name of the prince. And, if the, and the prayer of faith shall save the afflicted, and the prince shall raise him. And if an error may have been committed, or sin, it shall be remitted for him, or forgiven. And here we see, and it's clear from the, the epistle of James, that a man may be healed with the prayers of the elders of the community, and I would think this would have to be a loving, caring Christian community, something which, well, which our people have little experience with, right? As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, if we would distinguish ourselves, perhaps many of us would not be sick. We had such problems in those days also, it's very evident. Just not to the same extent. So James tells us that the prayers of the elders can heal people in our assemblies. And I have no doubt that that's possible. But, you know, when I pray for somebody, and I pray for a lot of people, I mean, I can't even help myself. Well, well um, I don't pray that they become miraculously cured. I really don't. I don't know why they're sick. It may be their own sin that made them sick. We don't know each other as well as we, we could, or as well as we should in many cases. When I know somebody who's undergoing trial, and I actually have a half-sister who, who's um, a, a nigger lover with cancer right now, and I don't pray for her, and, and I'm being honest. When I know somebody that is, is going through trial, and that person is, is um, dear to my heart, I pray that Yahweh give them the strength that they can sustain their trial. Because I don't know, in, in many cases, why they're undergoing a trial. The man down the block, your cousin who lives in the next town, you don't know what he does every night. You don't know what he eats. You don't know who he communes with. 
You don't know who he's marrying every weekend. Yeah, you know, we're not under the judgments of the law. There's no doubt. The children of Israel are not going to be judged by law. We all have the mercy and the grace of God. All of the offspring of Israel shall be preserved. But Paul says of sinners to put the wicked ones out from among us when they're not repentant, right? To put the wicked ones out from among us so that and hand them over to Satan or the adversary for destruction of the body so that the spirit can be saved in the day of Christ. You can bet that every Israelite spirit will indeed be preserved in the day of Christ. But the trials of this life, whether it be um, sickness or, or some other sort of calamity, they're usually brought upon us by ourselves or they're brought upon us for the glory of God. There was a man who was blind from birth in John chapter 9. And the Pharisees challenged Christ and asked whose sin it was, his or his parents, that he was blind from birth. Well, of course, it wasn't a man's sin. He couldn't have sinned in the womb. And Christ responded that he was blind. So that the glory of God could be made manifest. We often don't understand why we're sick. And, and I would bet usually it's because we were infected with some Jewish pharmacia as children, and it has its implications later in life, or because we led profligate lifestyles, and, and we probably deserve to be sick. Because I don't believe that, you know, you're not going to go to hell for eating a hunk of pig's ass. It's not going to happen. But it is going to have implications in this life. And if you eat a hunk of pig's ass every week at the Sunday dinner table, down the road, you're probably going to pay for that. If you smoke for 30 years, and I smoked for 27 years, down the road, you, I very well may pay for that. There's no doubt. And I would pray that Yahweh gives me the strength to make it through that trial. But if that's what ended my life, so be it. I bought that when I smoked for 27 years. And I pray now that I don't have to face such a trial, right? So, so a lot of times what I'm trying to say is that sickness is a result of our behavior. That we should, whenever we can, practice prevention and not cry out to God when we've been, lived profligately all of our lives, keep sucking down that bacon every Sunday morning and smoking those cigarettes and drinking that beer. When we've lived profligate lives, then all of a sudden we get sick, we're going to scream out to God. I don't think it works that way.
the food laws also work the other way. When we eat right and, and when we eat natural, wholesome foods, our bodies probably have the the means that they need by which to heal themselves when 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 they are um when, when they're sick. And the problem with this life is that, especially if we live in the cities, it's very, very difficult to obtain those foods. The Jew has the whole food market rigged. Uh, I mean, first he adds all kinds of additives that cost more money to the food and, and sells it real cheap, and, and then they make organic food without the additives and charge it twice as much for the stuff that they don't add anything to. That, that's a Jew racket if I ever saw one. So, so where, where, where flies in the Vaseline, as far as that's concerned? That's why I played that song at the beginning of this, um, of this, of, of this program. It, it's very apt. It, it's m most of us are not in a position what, where we can do much about it. Our food supply, but but it would be it would be nice if as many of us could be as independent as possible from the uh, the poisoned and rigged Jewish pharmaceutical and food industries in, in this nation. As far as healing is concerned, the early rain is gone. It left with the apostles. We can pray for each other's well-being, but we should pray for those that we love, that they're able to sustain the trials which they must undergo. We will have that ability which Joshua came here with 2,000 years ago. There's no doubt, John says, but as many as who received him, he gave to them the authority which the children of Yahweh are to attain. That's in our future, to those believing in his name. Not those from of mixed origin, nor those from of the desire of the flesh, nor from of the will of man, but they who have been born from of Yahweh. We will have that ability again. But at that point, we will also be living in accordance with our, the will of our God. And that whole list of sins that you see in, in Paul spout off in Galatians and in Corinthians, we won't be doing those things. But if we gave them up now, we would be healthier. So quite often, our illness is for... It is a result of the repercussions of the way we've lived our lives. And quite often, our illness is a trial from Yahweh. And, and that's to test and to temper us. So that we can do what he wants us to do. He's molding us into his will. And we have to delight in our trials. And glorify God. Okay, this is an open forum. That, that's my opinion on, on healing. Uh, I know it's not complete. It's, it's not perfect. But, but I see it in a very, very practical sense. And, um, 
And, and I, I don't think there's any real room for the charismatics in, in Christianity, but other people can, can certainly think differently. This is an open forum, and I'd appreciate some feedback. I mean, that's what an open forum is for, right? So, so hopefully somebody will have something to respond to that. And, and you'll just have to let me know if, um, if, if you want your microphones on. I, I'm going to turn Clifton's on because um, Clifton might have something to say concerning this, and, and I'd like to hear it if he does. Clifton, are you there? I put Clifton yeah, to sleep. I put Clifton to sleep an hour ago. No, I'm kidding. Hello. Yeah, I'm here. Can you can you hear me? Yes. Fine. How you doing? Well, pretty good. Well, well, that's my opinion of pharmaceuticals and and healing. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, um, and I'll go for those um, Pentecostals on that healing stuff. Well, well, the Pentecostals, the Charismatics, that, that they, uh, I believe that those are early rain gifts. Paul, that there's something that, um, that, that I didn't read that I have here, and, and I'll read it. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and Paul states that, and he's talking about speaking in tongues, which is one of the apostolic gifts. It's not the gift of healing, but it is one. It, perhaps I would speak in the languages of men and of messengers, but I do not have love. I have become brass sounding or a symbol clanging. And if I have the gifts of interpretation of prophecy or prophesying, and, and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if perhaps I have all the faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am not. And if perhaps I employ all my possessions in feeding others, and if I would hand over my body in order that I may boast, but I do not have love, I am due nothing. In other words, we have no reward if we don't love our brethren. Love is patience. Love is beneficial. Love is not jealous. Love does not vaunt itself. Love is not inflated. Love does not behave disgracefully. Things not Seek not things for itself is not pr provoked does not consider evil, does not rejoice upon injustice, but rejoices with the truth, contains all, trusts all, expects all, endures all, love never fails. But whether prophesying or interpretations of prophecy, they shall be abolished, or languages, they shall be brought to an end, or knowledge, it shall be left unemployed. In, in other words, those apostolic gifts were, were um, Paul told us that they, they were nothing compared to the love that we should have for our brother. As far as they're uh, talking in tom, uh, tongues, uh, I had found something out of the Ananician Fathers, and, and I, I forget just where it was, but I quoted it a couple times. Uh, but that was a special gift just for that day. And, and um, some, of, some of the uh, Church Fathers understood it that way. Well, well, yes, they did, because I don't believe those gifts. I, I believe that the gospel was transmitted down from the apostles, but the gifts that the apostles had, I don't believe they were transmitted down. And, and I believe that we can, as James describes in, in James chapter 5, what we can't, the elders of your community 
can intercede for you with God and, and beseech God on your behalf, and, and perhaps you'll come out of your sickness. But, but um, if the elders of the community don't stand up for a man, the man has no worth. And, and that goes back to that national healing, that ethnic healing that we should have when we turn to each other and love each other. When we recognize Christ's sacrifice for us and our kin and, and, and turn to our kin and, and love our brother. And, and that, that's what I think what James is talking about. The, um, and, and that goes with what I believe the later reign is, and, and I'm sure you agree, Clifton, that the, um, the Elias which is to come would turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the children. And, and that's, I believe, where we are now. Yeah, that's what the, I believe. The, the Christian identity message is the only interpretation of the Bible and the Gospel that has ever appealed to the exclusivity and exclusively to the, the race, the, the correct racial sense of the Bible. And, and we, we seek to turn our people's hearts to the covenants of their fathers and the patriarchs, and, and to turn the fathers and parents among our people to their children to, to, to give them the hope which we transmit. I, I think that's only found in Christian identity. Yeah, right. Uh, and I've written on that a couple times, too. Well, well right. And, and that's the way to write. Exactly. Where I... Um uh, if they go on my website and maybe type in the right words, it would come up, you know. Right. Well, well, they would just have to search on your site for hearts and fathers, and they'd find it. But, but that I believe is the latter rain. I, I might be wrong, but the, the later rain is not the early rain, and and um. If, if you're looking for anybody in Christianity to trying to turn the hearts of the children. Well, to the fathers, also, also it's Christian identity. About restitution of everything we've lost, uh, you know, down through the centuries. Well, well right, that's so, true. From us. I think the first uh, Pentecost, that, that's when uh, the wedding of Yahweh to his people, to the twelve tribes took place. As far as I can figure. That I, I'm sorry, Clifton, I didn't quite catch that. The original Pentecost yes. is when when Yahweh married the twelve tribes. Pretty sure it fell, it fell on the first Pentecost. Oh, okay. You're, you're ta I know you're talking about the Exodus. Okay, yes, that makes sense. Well, it's, it's, uh, Pentecost is kind of an anniversary celebration. Well, well, yes, in that sense it would be. So, so then the um, the gifts the apostles received were wedding gifts, right? <laughs> yeah, it, uh, yeah. I told my uncle, you know, he he believed in uh, talking in tongues and all that stuff, and 
And I said, well, go back and see what the first Pentecost was about. He didn't, he didn't see any relevance in that. So the people today in the Pentecostal movement, they're looking for more speaking in tongues like it was the day of Pentecost. That's over with. Well, well, yes, the speaking in tongues was um, well, was so that the gospel could spread. And, and now we're into Jeremiah 31 time where, where it says that, that, that they will no longer teach, know Yahweh, for they all shall know me. So, so there's no more need for speaking in tongues, right? Yeah, right. And, of course, after they printed the Bible, that, then, then uh, you know, there's a pa passage that goes, you know, that, you know, how will they hear if they don't have a preacher? Well, anymore, after the Bible was printed, uh, they can hear just by reading the Bible. And that, and that's how he um, pleads with us face to face. That's the way I see it, anyway. Bruce, what do you have to contribute here? Well, that's definitely a plural article letter. It's not uh, the article being fathers. Uh, correct? What, what are we talking about, Bruce? Turning the hearts of the children to their fathers, meaning our, our, uh, our descendants, our... Our blood, you know, uh, like in Isaac is the seed. We were all in Isaac. We were literally in the loins of Isaac. We were literally in even the loins of Christ. We died with him, and we shall be raised with him. And all of the all of the Israelites who ever lived, all of our fathers, we were in their loins. And uh, what's going to awaken that is uh, uh, also comes with it a an awareness of uh, not wanting to offend our brothers, because we all see that we're all in the, you know come out of the same. Well, well, it's actually yeah, you know, it's it can be said that it it was subjective the way the translators arranged the books of the Old Testament. But it happens to be the very last verse in the Old Testament, because it's the very last verse in Malachi. And it says, and he, meaning that spirit of Elijah that was to come, and it was to come before the coming great and dreadful day of the Lord. So we see that the spirit of Elijah is to come in the very last days. And, after and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers, plural, to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, plural, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Well, that's a cohesiveness that's uh, gonna, that's the only thing that's gonna ward off that curse. And I, I believe that Yahweh's gonna fulfill all of his words, and all of us need to uh, make a good confession. But also, um, there's something about the blood where um, like when I first came across understanding 
uh, two seed line, the stupid, retarded, idiot, knucklehead I, I was for so many years with Judeo-Christianity. Um, coming across a racial, racial message, understanding that not to embrace the beast, uh, something I was trained all my life to do, has a tremendous impact when you know, faced with people who don't hear this, but when it comes down to uh, putting your teeth into something when faced with uh, a situation which is what the, obviously the uh, the Jews are, are, are attempting to bring about upon the whole earth in a slow manner, you know, off and on, turning it up a little, turning it down. <clears throat> but it's just tremendous that the Almighty can... Uh, can awaken awaken a, a perfect love for our race, but also a perfect hatred for for uh, the enemy, the the non-whites. And I mean that they are our enemy. And uh, boy, it's a real knock in the head. But I'll tell you what, um, I I think. Either we're going to do it or we're going to blow it. And I, th I think Yahweh's going to be on our side when he when he decides the right time. I I don't know when it's going to be. I sure wish I knew, but hmm. there won't be any uh, room for doubt though when it happens. Well, the conclusion I would like people to arrive at from from my my, my little presentation tonight is that Christ is our only legitimate pharmacon, meaning dispenser of healing medication. And, and that's actually a, um, it, it's amazing that a use, one use of the Greek word pharmacon meant somebody who was sacrificed for, for the propitiation of sins of another, or the atonement of sins of another. And Christ is our only legitimate pharmacon, but he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And, and we really can't expect his healing or, or, or the prevention of illness unless we're keeping those commandments. So while we're not going to be judged by the law on the spiritual level, it, it certainly does have implications for us on the, in the physical world when we flaunt it. There should be no doubt. And is that, did I make that clear, or should I go back and rewrite it? Well, I once heard, uh, like, like walking with a big bowl of hot oil on top of your head that filled to the brim. Uh, you got to walk. I mean, we are, there's no place in any of us, uh, 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 you know, yeah, you sometimes get upset with some white folks, but, uh, I mean, we we need to realize that, um, love covers a multitude of uh, our errors and when we realize the, the, the depths that we all have, have gone together then we can reach out for another and and instead of uh, pushing them down the water to drown them I mean there's a lot of that going on with us and, but, uh, By Joe.
by Yahweh, we're gonna we're gonna do this somehow. <laughs> I think that's what the Almighty wants us to do. Is He wants us to realize that He's gonna do it, and uh, you know, it's not like you're waiting for Yahweh to come in the clouds. I, I don't know. What what do you think about that? Like, uh, in the you know, in the sweet by and by. You think he's gonna appear in all of his people? They'll know. He, they'll know. Then it won't be always looking for, you know, searching and groping. But that that realization will will take place when he wants it to. Who knows what we have? We have to go through and endure. I, I just can't stand the. Uh, always looking for the future kind of things. You know, the the folks who always say, uh, what is it called, a futurist? There's a preterism and futurism, right? <laughs> But truth is, and truth is, 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 is demands now, not, not yesterday and tomorrow. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I think my microphone was um, muted by accident. Uh, I said we all have a task here in the present world, and futurism is a is a distraction to keep us from that. The, the prophecy has been unfolding for two thousand years. It's clear. Hello, Robert. Well, hello. How you doing? Interesting topic tonight. Thank you. I, mean, I, I always try to pound this with people who continually think they need to go to the Jew doctor and get some kind of medication for shaky leg syndrome or some kind of nonsense. Uh-huh. Um, it's an epidemic in this country. I mean, well, well, it's probably caused by the food supply, by the things that the, the, yeah, the vaccines but... we've taken over the years, the, the other medicines we've taken over the years that have after effects or to do things to our nervous systems. Yeah, but you're right, but compounding the situation by going and getting some more pharmaceuticals is not a solution. Well, well, no, but I, I just try to express that a lot of people were stuck in, in that mode because of earlier events in their life, right? I would say that very few people are stuck in that mode. They just think they are. Well, I that could watched, very well be. I've even watched long-time long, long time people who have been diabetic on insulin, get off insulin, but it takes a lot of discipline. Well, well, right. That would be a wonderful thing if diabetics could get off insulin, and I'm sure that could be done. It's rare, but it can happen. I mean, it's I, easier to take the pill, though. Yeah, my my uncle uh, did it for a while, but the, the, how strict he had to be, uh, he just he couldn't handle the strictness. <laughs> so back on insulin again, but I mean, it, it is possible. That the unfortunate thing is, is a lot of times the damage is done. So it's a diet-oriented thing that you either have to suffer through or um, you'll back, be back on their, their medications. Now, some, some things you really can't reverse unless it's by uh, decree of Yahweh. I mean, that it's, you're permanently healed. If you end up with um, childhood diabetes, you're screwed because that's just not going to go away, you know, when your pancreas stops functioning. Um, 
I know a few people like that, and it generally happens because the parents aren't wise to homogenated milk and um, vaccines. One or the other usually gets the kid. If they end up with childhood diabetes, it's it's usually one of those two one of those two things. However, I, I think all of us, most of everyone in this generation, is, is going to pay a price of our own stupidity and our parents' stupidity because of what's been put inside of our bodies that's just latent there now from vaccinations. They're the most, I think they're the most incredibly hideous things the Jews almost came up, ever came up with. Yeah, maybe mercury, uh, the mercury in the vaccines actually caused the diabetes. I mean, I mean, has anybody... Well, mercury actually dumps you down. But there's all kinds of other stuff, foreign DNA, pig DNA, horse DNA, um, weird DNAs that they stick in the vaccines to corrupt um, your own own processes in your body. Pretty wicked, wicked type of thing. I, I still don't understand why any Christians take vaccines. I find it utterly fascinating that that's still going on. So much information out now. Well, the main um, cause of um, diabetes um, is the lack of, of um, nutrients especially um, chromium. And um, now sugar cane has a lot of chromium in it. And, 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 and so nature's way of uh, taking care of the problem is, you know, if, if you eat a, a, you know, you sweeten your cereal or whatever with, with uh, sugar, uh, there, there's normally this um, chromium in there, uh, which is the um, uh, ingredient that needs, that, that the uh, pancreas is almost starved for. Well, in the processing of the uh, sugar cane, uh, they take that out when they when they take the um, black strap molasses, separate that from the sugar. So uh, when we eat sugar, and it doesn't have uh, nature's chromium in it, we're overloading the pancreas, and it'll just reach a point where it can't. And and once the pancreas uh, stops, you can't get it started again. Yeah, that's the big issue. However, I have have seen it reverse, though, Clifton. I mean, I, I have personal family experience with people who have reverse diabetes well you uh, you need to you need to uh you know start taking chromium in some form now egg yolks have chromium in and um like i say the the uh, blackstrap molasses would have it in um pepper uh, has chromium in it black pepper uh, so there, there's various uh, foods that you eat that has chromium, and it's going to help out. So, yeah, so it, I think it, if it, a person would just add black black strap molasses, like if you're baking a cake or baking some bread, uh, uh, put that in. You know, it's going to color it a little bit. You know, and it may not look so good, but it's going to be better for you. Yeah, the the, the 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 problem with some of these things is that the pancreas has been so damaged that as soon as you do anything outside of the ordinary, you're back on insulin again. 
Well, so, the, the, then the, the pagan holidays come into play because you send the, the kids off to school, and the first thing that comes along is Halloween, and and they go out and they uh, get a lot of candy, and and it isn't long till uh, well November, you know. Even Thanksgiving brings a lot of sweets that uh, that uh, you, you know you wouldn't normally eat. So you're uh, uh, it isn't as bad as some of the rest of it. But then you know you get into Christmas and you get into the candy business again, and it is long till uh, um, Valentine's Day and it's more candy and. It isn't long till Easter. That kid has got, and he probably, the kid probably takes that candy to his room that he gets, you know, for Halloween and all his, his Easter candy, and he takes that to his room, and then when he gets up in the morning, instead of going out to the table and eating, he goes grab some of that candy, and then you call him to the table to eat, and I'm not hungry. Well, there's a severe lack of discipline, parental discipline today. And that was a lot of Benjamin Spock's and all the Jew child psychologists from the 60s had everything to do with that. Yeah, there's enough problems. I can remember in my own case, uh, when those days had come along, you get a great big chocolate rabbit, and it would take you six months to eat it. Never took me six months. Gone in three days. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a pig. <laughs> well, I think I think with the chocolate, I think you stand a better chance of maybe having some molasses in that chocolate than you would with some of the other uh, other candies. But well, well that's, I'm sorry, Clifton. I just got to say, well, I had it on my mind before. That's something that's caused us a ton of damage, right, in, in this country with our food supply. They bleach our flour to make it white and attractive. That they put motor oil in peanut butter to make it creamy. That, that they ruin our, they destroy our food. That they destroy our food with, um, but with chemicals and, and with bleaching processes, and, and, and they, they just, yeah, I'm kidding about the motor oil, but, but not really. It's hydrogenated soybean oil or things like that in peanut butter to make it creamy. Well, well, what's wrong with peanut butter naturally? I know there's problems with peanuts. I'm not going there. I'm just using this as one food as an example with the things that they do to it. That they, they put chemicals in our food, and it destroys the food value of the food for the sake of texture or for the sake of appearances. Well, they spray celery with formaldehyde, and you don't right. want formaldehyde until you die. Yeah, right. I don't want it when I'm dead either. And they, they, this has been going on for a hundred years, probably. I'm not sure exactly how long, but it's been a long time that they've been doing the, these things to our foods, and, and they're destroying our food in the name of looks and texture. And what what else is spraying with formaldehyde? I don't know, but I, I'm quite sure the celery is sprayed um, the formaldehyde, so it'll stay on the shelf a little longer. That they want all our food to become to conform 
and 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 to be soft and and what they've done is they've made a whole nation full of people that conform and and are soft <laughs> and sick it, it's crazy the things they've done to and people buy it up and and they make themselves sick hello bill hello how you doing Aaron? Doing good. I just wanted to interject really quick in regards to the uh, diabetes issue. Uh, my wife was diagnosed as having pre-diabetes, and um, you know, with us being wise to all the junk that they'll try to shove down your throat to quote help you, which it only ends up destroying you. Uh, she found out that uh, vitamin D actually uh, eliminated her pre-diabetes. Uh, almost overnight, she was able to eat whatever she wanted, and it didn't affect her uh, blood sugar level at all. So I just wanted to throw that out there for anybody that might would be struggling with that. Well, well, that's interesting. But in one, what form did she take the vitamin D? It was just pill form. So, so it was just pills you go buy at a health food store. Yep, exactly. Okay, that's that. That is interesting. That's kind of fascinating because you don't get much vitamin D from the pill. You get more if you just go out in the sun. Well, well, I had a, a a long time in my life where I didn't work out. I had a desk job. I was soft. I, I sat at my computer sixteen hours a day, and and when I started working out, when I got to prison, I had a few sugar bouts, but. Uh, a, a um, cutting all the unnecessary sweets, and um, yeah, you know, no more candy bars, no more cake, all, all that stuff had to go, and, and exercise, it just went away. Yeah, also, uh, my firstborn, um, he was born with eczema, and it was a really bad case of eczema, and of course, this was prior to you know, me being wise to the doctors, making money off of us, and just giving us junk that would cause even more problems down the road. And they prescribed us um, something for his eczema, which is a skin, um, just a skin issue, um, where um, it's real sensitive, um, breaks out and hives, things like that. Um, and they gave him they gave us some stuff that had uh, steroids in it, high, very high levels of steroids. And that was um, the number one thing that they would prescribe for eczema, because you know this is whenever my wife and I started getting wise to how dangerous the drugs are. And um, and we asked them, we asked them, you know, is there something else? They said, no, this is the main thing that we prescribe for kids. And so that's what really got us, I think, originally uh, looking at all the other options and natural uh, way to go about healing our bodies. And it was as simple as a family member who had uh, emus, and they sold emu oil, and that was the, the cure, instant cure uh, for him on that. Emu oil? Emu oil, yeah. Do you like squeeze the emus in, in a press <laughs> to get the oil on it? How, how does that work? Well, it, it's actually the oil inside the feathers. They okay. Extract it, they extract it from the feathers, yeah. So, so it comes from the skin of the emu. That, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, so which is yeah, yeah, which is a, a hell of a lot better than steroids. I, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah.
Yeah, I wonder what the nutrient is that you're actually getting from that when you expose that to the skin. Is it, is it drink, do you drink it or do you put it on the skin? You just put it on the skin. And it's, 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 um, like a, it's been used uh, a great deal as a natural lubricant in the, in the history, is what I come to find out. But I didn't know exactly what the element was. Um, it, it I'm surprised some Jew hasn't synthesized it. Now, did you have the child that ended up with eczema, did you have that child vaccinated? Oh, yeah, yeah. He was vaccinated, and um, and I regret it, of course. Uh, but at that time, I wasn't wise to all that. Uh, my second as well, but not my third. My third that was recently born, yeah, he hasn't been touched. Yeah, a lot of skin disorder has to do with heavy metal poisoning, too. I'm sure. Yeah, I have no doubt. Also in the vaccines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife and I totally equated uh, his his issues to the vaccines. If I remember correctly, it was uh, shortly after he got his big dosage that this occurred. Yeah, I've watched a few recently. It's pretty it's pretty amusing. A very lively child, and then they take him in for the shots, and he comes back and he looks like he's brain dead. Oh, it's really awful to watch it, but the parents are so convinced they need to go in and get these vaccinations. I actually had a cousin. I went to a funeral where his baby died a week after they were va- and he was vaccinated. I asked about the vaccines, but, you know, they don't put the connection together that between the vaccines and, and the crib death. Well, what they refuse to. They, they do studies and blame it on anything but vaccines. They refuse to link anything to vaccines because they're, they're, they're such a huge moneymaker. And they're mandated by, by the, the state educational systems and the federal government. So, so it's a guaranteed winner for the pharmaceutical companies. So what's amazing, too, Bill, is that I have, uh, I probably had one of the largest connections of, um, material on, on vaccines because of what happened to me with heavy metal poisoning. And so I would distribute this to parents. They would read it and say, oh, it's got all kinds of interesting information in it, and this, this, that, and they go to all the sites, and then they'd still get their kids vaccinated. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, you know why? I'll tell you why. Because they're comfortable in the fact that most kids don't have anything apparently bad happen to them. I would say that most kids are damaged today. We understand that. And you don't know why we have all this cancer in our society now. It could very well be tied to the vaccines people got 30, 40 years ago, and, and I'm sure it is, but, but um, in many instances at least. But people don't care about 30 years from now. They always take the easy route out. We always take the easy route. Oh, well, all the other kids had these vaccines the last 10 years, and nothing's happened to them, so go ahead and vaccinate my kid, too. It's no problem. I'll go along. And your kid's the one with the autism. And then they look for other reasons for the autism, because they don't want to believe it was their decision to have their kid vaccinated that gave the kid the autism. And the, and the drug companies throw all kinds of propaganda out there to distract people down rabbit holes. You know, some of the um, some of the uh, skin problems uh, could be caused by a lack of sulfur. Uh, it's, it's like a canary if he's he's kept in a cage all the time, and he he doesn't have uh, access to sulfur, he'll start picking these uh, feathers out. 
And it's like when you take your dog out and he'll go rolling in the grass. Well, there's sulfur in that grass, and and that's that's what uh, he's doing that deliberately, so he absorbs some of that sulfur out of that grass. Yeah, I wanted to recommend this movie that that uh, Mike Mike Delaney had uh, sent to me, which I think is funny because this guy's really stolen my little. I, I can't say he stole it, but. He, he he went on a he went on a, a a green juice fast for sixty days and changed turned his life around and there's another guy in the film that also followed in his footsteps and pretty much turned his life around. It is possible with just basic stuff that we have out there today to to really do a miracle on your life uh, by uh, having a little bit of discipline. I think Mike right now is probably I don't know if he's I don't want to say are you still on your juice fast, Mike? See you're on right now. Mike, you got to get on the chat. Yeah, he doesn't have the uh, voice power on there. But um, every, pretty much every year, I, and Bill thinks I'm crazy, but I, I spend 40 days where I just, I just juice to try to clean my body out once a year. And I figure that I don't know if it's going to do anything for me from all my past sins, but it certainly uh, refreshes me for the time I do it. And I do it during Lent, so no one will ask me any questions. And it's not for religious reasons. It's just more because I feel a lot better after I do it. I put the name of the movie down in the uh, chat room, by the way. I don't know if if, uh, if uh, ProSync has the link. You know, Bill, the one thing you did mention today I thought that was very good is, is the fact that I guess you can treat this. If, you, if you're in an ailment right now where you cut something out of your body and you really don't have any choice, that's kind of like the same thing as, as just you're, being, you're a slave to something, but it, it, it's already done. There's not much you can do about it. Oh, right, right, exactly, and, and that, you know, you shouldn't have a, you shouldn't feel bad about that. You do what you have to do to, to survive until you could find a way out. Yeah, it's done, and I, I like to hear that because a lot of people, and at least in Judeo-Christian, it was kind of like that they were always giving people alternatives that just simply weren't possible, and it used to irritate me to some extent because there are things you can do and you can try, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work. Right. And if you've had something cut out permanently, you're not going to put that organ back in again. You're well, well, no. And most people do this stuff in ignorance. And unfortunately, whether it's ignorant or not, whether you jump out a window and hit the ground, I mean, it is, it is, it is what it is. It's a penalty you're going to pay for a physical, physical thing that you've done. Well, well I thank God I still have my tonsils. They wanted to yeah, take them out a few times, but I still have them. I wouldn't let I them have, have mine too. I don't know what the tonsils do, but I still have mine also. They're not getting my tonsils. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Uh, ProThink now just put in the uh, chat room. He's got the movie right on the on his website. Good. Mike, let's get on the chat. I got to ask you something. He doesn't have a mic. He's saying. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm pacing the floor. Oh well.
Uh, this is an area I was very interested in. I think most people don't get interested in the health area until they become seriously ill. Which well, is well right. Very, which is a very well. well I was. I, I won't say it. I, I won't. He, he left already. I think Las Vegas man. He, he's the one to put me up to this topic tonight. But but he already left. Does he have health problems or? I, I don't know, but but he asked me about it, and and um, I agreed to do it. Yeah, it's a very good topic, and it's neglected. The, 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 the funny thing is, is if you go to all those charismatic-type places, instead of the people taking things um, from a more practical standpoint, they think that someone's going to lay hands on them and they're going to get healed of a bad lifestyle, more or less. So um, I, that's just, to me, that was always ludicrous. I could never figure that out in these charismatic places guys lived wrong for 30 years and now all of a sudden he wants to be healed and then continue the same lifestyle he was doing before he, before he gets healed, right? Well, well, right. And that's crazy, that attitude. It is. It's insanity. No one, no one thinks about, well, how did I get into this position? What, what's the lesson I should learn from being in this position? Right. They just want to be healed. They don't want any consequences to their actions. And I, as I said, I think the unfortunate thing is there's consequences to actions you didn't even know that you were doing at the time. Well, well, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I never thought I started smoking at 12 years old. I never thought anything of it. <laughs> I thought it was the thing to do. Yeah, well, and yeah. it enslaved me for 27 years. I mean, I, I count from when I was 13 because that's when I started smoking like a pack a day. At, at 13 in high school, and, and I kept it up. I, I was smoking three, four packs a day through my 20s, and, and uh, I, it never bothered me. Uh, I mean, it started to bother me when I was 35, and, and I decided on my own that I better quit. Yeah, my father paid the consequences of living a, you know, sausages and smoking, and it killed him. Right, and living that profligate, I mean, it doesn't seem profligate, but eating pork all the time, smoking, um, shellfish, all the, the drinking, all the, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a couple of glasses of wine a day. I, I, I would do it myself if I wasn't on programs most nights or, or wanted to keep a clear head to, to do my tech work and, and to get my reading done. So, so I'd rather not drink, right? But I have a beer once in a while when I see my son, but but it's rare. But there's nothing wrong with a glass of wine with a meal. Uh, I, there's no, but there is something wrong with two or three six packs a night. And, and behavior like that is going to get you in trouble. Eventually, that'll get you in trouble. Yeah, that will get you. Uh, absolutely, anything to excess or, or anything that that's um. That they were told not to not to consume, and, and we go consuming it, thinking there's going to be no consequences, and there are going to be consequences. And when we face the consequences, then we start praying. We do it all the time. Yep. Oh God, heal me! I'm sick. I've been eating swine's ass my whole life. I'm sick. I got my arteries are 95 percent clogged. That's the thing that I think is is unfortunate. Is a lot of times we're doing something repetitively that we don't understand that there's going to be a consequence to. And even when the consequence comes along, that was with me. I mean, well, I wouldn't say it was repetitively, but between the um, 
you know, with my heavy metal poisoning, that was that was um, vaccines and dental, and my body just didn't get rid of the mercury. But I, I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even have a clue. And I think that's the position a lot of people are in. They're they're sitting there saying, well, why am I in this position? And I really don't understand. Um, well, well right. How many kids have bad acne today? And 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 it doesn't happen to every kid. Well, you know what? I I told you my experience with that. The second I got that crap out of my mouth, my acne cleared up. Did right, that's incredible. Instantly. Freaking instantly. <laughs> it was amazing. And I had bad acne. And, and, and that's so many of us have those, and we blame ourselves for that stuff. Yep. I must yep. have done something terrible to end up like this. Well, no, you didn't. You, you just got fooled by that vaccine. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> Got the heavy metals in your mouth, you know. The guy's sitting there with a mask on and a breather breathing mechanism, and he's sticking mercury in your mouth. Oh, it's okay for you. And if all the other stuff isn't bad enough, they put fluoride in your water and yeah, your there toothpaste. You go there you go too. It says deadly poison if you if you know consume more than one tenth of one one gram. You know, go to the go get your stomach flushed. Yeah, that's another one. That's an easily avoidable one, too, is fluorine or fluoride. Because uh, you can buy toothpaste or you can just make toothpaste from baking soda. It doesn't have any fluoride in it. Well, I drink all distilled water and get some health get some uh, toothpaste when I go to the health food store. Looks like Pro thinks got something going on here. Can you hear my sexy voice? Oh, we can hear you. Why is there two of you? Uh, I got my got you guys on my laptop and my home computer, which I got playing through the big stereo speakers, so we can hear you guys talk about fluoride and stuff all through the house. Oh. Yeah, let me get you guys the other link to this film here as well, The Beautiful Truth. Seems how we're on that, because that's got an excellent amount of information as well. It's one of the better food movies out there. You know what I really like about that that particular film is it gives anybody hope. I mean, I'm, I went stricter because I didn't know what I was doing. I, I usually go organic, but this guy was just taking, just going to any old grocery store, picking up stuff and shoving it in his, his juicing machine that was in the back of his car and traveling across the country. And it's a very interesting film, especially if you have particular health problems. Uh, it, it, it looks like he was able to do a lot without a really expensive setup. So, Yeah, the juicer that he uses in a movie, they're minimum of about a 150 for a Breville juicer. But you can get the 800-watt juicer at Walmart for 50 bucks. the GE model. That'll work just as well. Uh, it's the one that I have in my RV. As my buddy Chuck up here, it's the one he's using right now in his fast. And um, yeah, it works. Just you know, you don't have to buy the expensive ones. You don't, you know, don't got the money to buy those. No, hundred megabytes. I'm gonna have to convert this to a flash or something. Yeah, I I would say that you know it it does it does take discipline. I I don't know what Mike has to say about that. I I usually blow it off because I've done it enough now where I just I know the consequences of doing a juice fast. But maybe you want to describe what you thought it was like. 
Um, I'll just say this. I don't want to discourage anybody. <laughs> we got to, I'll, I'll tell you what happened. We got to day number six, which was this, just this past Friday. And uh, the wife and I were both doing it. We started last week Sunday, so just over a week ago now. And um, we got to Friday, and uh, we we both caught a weak moment on each other. And we we had quite a big meat and potatoes dinner at a restaurant. And uh, boy, was that lousy. That felt like crap. And, and I'll tell you what, it tasted amazing going down. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, it just totally sucked because it was like, ugh. So we went right back to the juice fasting, you know, the next day. Uh, Chuck is doing a hybrid fast because if you go to the movie, shows these guys like only juicing and pretty much green juice for, you know, 60 days for the main two guys in there. And uh, when you go to their website, they got what's called Reboot. Uh, the website's jointhereboot.com and they offer, I think, so they don't, they're not medically get in trouble for recommending 60 days of just juicing, which is still not going to, I would recommend it to people, but um, they have what's called a hybrid fast on there where you do juicing, but you can still eat raw vegetables when you feel you need to eat, put some, you know, just have to actually eat something. And that, that seems to curb a lot of the appetite, but the problem with that, and, I, and it's something that they didn't discuss in the movie that I've heard Bob say, which is, which is very interesting and, and uh, very informative is that when you're doing the juicing, I'm sure Bob can actually explain this better to me, but some along the lines when you're doing the juicing, you're actually shutting your digestive system down so that it's able to repair and and give you more energy while you're juicing that way instead of having both solids down there. Yeah, I don't feel like eating shit when I hear juicing. How you doing, Mike? Good, and you, Bruce? Good. Praise Yahweh. Mike, I have something yeah. to ask you about. Scott Summers sent out a link to the, um, the link was to your talk show page, to, to the debate I had with Condit, right? Okay. And, and, of course, he called me a Nazi, but that's okay. I ignored him. He got my, my page wrong because he linked people. He supplied a link to Condit's um, DVD page, and, and he supplied a link to Christogenia but not the MyComp site. But well, well, the context of his email was all about the MyComp site, and, and since everybody he emails is in his CC line, I hit a, 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 a reply all, and when I hit a reply all, I, I um, supplied the correct links, explaining that Christogenia.org is my, my main website, which talks about the Bible and history, but mk.christogenia.org is my mind comp project, right? Which talks about World War II in Germany. So, so I got a response tonight, and, and the response came from um, Dina Spingola. Do you know her? Yeah, that's the lady that had. Uh, she has a show on RBN, which Rick Adams does as well. You know that whole clown crew. Yes. And Spingola, I guess, where the original debate was between Carolyn Yeager. And Condit, which is the whole reason I wanted to have a new debate. And originally, I had I I was going to get Carolyn Yeager, and then I thought, well, that was already done. I'd rather have a new debate against Condit with you. So that's who okay. that Spangola woman was. Is, is she had hosted a debate, and, and she's I didn't get to hear the whole thing, but from everybody I heard from, that she basically favored Carolyn Yeager's side, obviously over Condit. Hitler was a Jew crap. Yeah, good. Well, well, this is what I got from her. 
Hello, William. Thank you so much for your email. And the URL for your wonderful website. So she must have spent some time on my site, I guess. I don't know which one, but I would like to have you on my radio program if you are available. What a lot of wonderful things on your site. Very impressive. So I'll be on um, Republic Radio. So I'll be on Republic Radio soon. I don't know when, oh. but so. It's too bad you couldn't get on with uh, the, the John Statmiller guy because he's the guy that actually brings in the listeners. Of the, I mean, this this is the same network that's actually got that Black Pastor Manning on it, too. Yeah, so, I know. I, I know. Yeah. It's the same network that Rick Adams is on and, and that Michael Collins Piper just quit or something. I don't know. I, I'll go on. I, I, I don't have – I'm dauntless, right? I mean, she can come up like Charles Giuliani, too, but I don't care. I'm telling you, we need to spam Alex Jones' radio show and drop your website on his network and get all these quasi-Christians. Yeah, I would just abuse Alex Jones, right? I mean, I would. I would just abuse him. That'd be cool as lipstick time, right? Yeah, exactly. The, the way he treated you that day, that's all he deserves. He's a clown. He, he's a straight clown. I would just abuse him. I could never go on his program because I'll just abuse him. But, but um, <laughs> well, well, check this out. Go to charlesgiuliani.com. Uh, I got something for this clown. <laughs> this was, um, guest one actually instigated this. I'll blame it on him. You got the link for that at all? Or I'm having a hard time spelling the Giuliani here. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody pasted in Charles Giuliani. I'm standing up pacing the floor. I'm not sitting in my typewriter. Oops. I, I have my caps lock on. I can't even do that right. That should work, though. Oh, look at that, charlesgiuliani.com. That's a great site. <laughs> it's a striking resemblance to, to the to the Bill Fink Christian Identity site, but, hey, if uh, Charles is going there, oh, that's awesome. Uh, you sounds like we got a convert. I'll have to send him an email and say, I'm glad he came along and he, listened and he yielded to the ways. Yeah, I hope some people email him about um, CharlesGiuliani.com because he deserves it. That's what he gets to talking about me for two weeks, right? And, and using me as his punching bag when I wasn't there. Well, when he couldn't see me to my face. He couldn't debate me to my face. I, I mean, he had to wait until I hung up and then abused me for two weeks. Yeah, that's what I did at that punk over at I Am The Witness. I took his .org and .net domain and, and posted, p pasted him the pro thing, so he, he had to deal with that for two years straight. And well, well right. It only cost me $5. .coms are $5 at one and one right now. It, it cost me four ninety nine. I don't have to renew it next year. I could let it go. It ain't no big thing. Or, or I could offer it to Giuliani for um, $10. <laughs> he could have his domain for $10. <laughs> Somebody wrote a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> or whatever. I can't see it. I'm standing up. I, I sat down all day. I'm 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 tired of sitting down. Hey, you already gave uh, Alex two black eyes and some Kool Aid lipstick, Bill. Who, who Alex Jones? 
Yeah, an avatar there. He, you already gave him two black eyes and some cool oh, okay. Yeah, he, he's just a shill. He's just a Xena shill. That's all he is. He, he, he's, there's no excuse for him. Um, yeah, that's a good one. That, this, he, he's not a conservative. He's not a patriot. He, he's none of the above. He's a, he's a damn Zeocon. But they just, they, they exist to run cover for Satan. I, I didn't, I first heard Alex Jones when I was in prison uh, on Coast to Coast, and I didn't like him then. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's he, a fanatic. He, yeah. But then again, I only listen to Coast to Coast for entertainment purposes, generally. Yeah, like us all, we have our, everybody have their season. Well, well, in prison, it's either listen to something in your ear, uh, you know, put a radio in your ear, or listen to the monkeys. That there's no choice. <laughs> well, that wasn't a bad band, the monkeys. I, I didn't mean those kind of monkeys. Um, well, Las Vegas, dude, I could get any domain you want in just a couple of minutes, right? Uh, I get them through one and one, though. One, one in one is my primary um, hosting provider. They're they're big on servers. That they they they're bad. They're weak in some areas, but they're they're they've been extremely reliable. I mean, Christagenia. Yeah, four ninety five a year. Some places will charge you sixteen dollars. And my websites have like ninety nine percent uptime. Right? I mean, they're never down. Yeah, I don't like GoDaddy because GoDaddy, they, they put a claim on your domain that they want to own the damn thing. Yeah, I don't like GoDaddy at all. I don't use them. Yeah, I know, Mike. Good night, Curtis Javis. No, GoDaddy here is a um, is a, an internet service hosting company, right? Las Vegas, dude. You, you know, sometimes one and one does some quirky things, but they're, they're the best. Um, I've dealt with four hosting services, and and I've, I I'm familiar with that many more because I've done business with people. But um, yeah, yeah, one and one I found to be extremely reliable. And their support is usually on the money if you get past the first level. The, the first level is always some some Indian woman that has no idea what she's doing. So I just talk really techy, and, and um, she bumps me up every time. I just talk over her head, and she bumps me up. Even when the problem is something I know she could probably handle, because I don't want to deal with her. And, and I always get bumped up to a white guy. Well, well, no, they're 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 here, but but I I think they just got some packies working for them, or I I don't know, maybe they have some Indians answer some phone calls, I don't know, but that first level support person is almost always an Indian woman. But now that I'm going to servers, you know, I got two 
of my own servers on one and one now, and I always get white guys because the the packy woman doesn't deal with servers, right? That that's for shared hosting people. That the the Indian woman's for shared hosting people for the cheap accounts. Hey, um, I want I'm wondering if any of you guys know anything about the um the fun vacs being this is kind of on the topic of uh pharmacia has anybody found out if that if that was a legit thing or not uh, i'm sorry you're gonna hit me with this again it's the fun vacs it's the fundamentalism vaccine did anybody hear about that i have no idea what you're talking about I'm sorry, I'm retarded. Fun-vac? Uh, fundamental? Well, well, do, do they vaccinate you with, like, um, Oral Roberts or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, I had seen a video here recently come out where apparently there was this leaked Pentagon briefing on this thing called the Fun-vax, which is short for uh, Fundamental Vaccine. And they claim that they have been able to locate, quote, the God gene. And um, what they did was they ran a series of tests um, on people when, um, on religious people, whenever they start speaking on things of religious nature, they see certain parts of the brain uh, developing activity. And then they're working on, supposedly working on um, this vaccine, this um, cure to uh, uh to inject people with, or they were even talking about putting it in the air um, that would cause this area within the brain to be non-active. So, um, so it's a chemical lobotomy, but, but I, I mean, I, I think they're full of it, what we found the God gene. That, that sounds to me like, um, I, I don't know, like some kind of Jew trick. Oh, definitely so. I would say so. But... <laughs> But uh, it's interesting because they were talk, trying to promote it, apparently, because, you know, pushing the whole thing of, you know, the domestic terrorists that exist and how that could eliminate the threat of that. And, of course, these crazy Arabs and, you know, Muslims that um, could attack us and how they're trying to promote um, dropping us on us by air. And it sounds really far-fetched. Uh, fetch, especially with the title to God Gene and all that, but anyways, there's a video out on it and just thought uh, I'd mention it. I would think it probably research. really is far-fetched, right? But because it, it's, um, I, I don't see, first off, all the God Genes are white, right? And, and second, I don't see religious fervor for Christianity or for Muslim fundamentalism being any different than religious fervor for the New York Yankees or the Pittsburgh Penguins. You see what I mean? Oh, yeah, definitely so. But, of course, you got these idiots out there that think they can locate. They think it's a sickness, right? You know, they think that uh, anybody that believes in a god is, or, you know, highly religious or, you know, very... Uh, uh, you know, excite, get excited over that kind of stuff. They think they got some kind of mental disease, mental sickness, and so um, I think that's where they started going down that path, trying to find the fix on it. Anyways, I posted the link. Down it it sounds chat. to me just like another Jew trick to poison half the population with some po some some garbage or other. 
yeah. But, but um, yeah, yeah, I'd have to see that to believe it. I've heard them, yeah, you know, they, they, they've had articles um, in, in various journals and, and news items before about the God gene and why certain people are religious. And, and um, most religious people, I think, are circus freaks. I mean, I've seen some awfully religious-looking Negroes. Of course, they're in the showers doing unseemly things at night, but, but they get all um, excited and pumped up, and they start talking about Jesus. Of course, it's some foreign alien Jesus that doesn't exist in the Bible. And, 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 and it's the same kind of fanaticism that leads one to blindingly... Um, Root for the Pittsburgh Penguins and go to every hockey game and wear their, their, their little uniforms and wave their stupid banners, right? It really is. Well, the vaccine might actually help some people to go over to CI. Yeah, right. <laughs> Eli James will be working with Pastor Manning next. Yeah, I think Michael Jackson got a hold of that vaccine and he tried working it, but it just didn't work. Hey, maybe we can get Patricia's shot. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to go back to the one one thing I think we've never, we've never quite finished. The one thing that I've noticed was a good help if you're doing a fast is, uh, is bee pollen because of the loss of protein. So if you're going to try to continue to work and do work, you really need that. I don't know how these guys go 60 days, but both of the, the people that were on there were, were more or less, one of the guys was super obese and the other guy was obese. So I've never really been over 200 pounds. Do they have solid uh, bowel movements or does it become liquid or liquid bowel movements or how's that working? Well, you just kind of have smaller bowel movements during the process. Your body's getting rid of stuff. Yeah. I didn't do exactly the same thing they did on here. They seemed to only pretty much predominantly green juice. And I would do, I would do, um, I do uh, fruit juices in the morning and then green juices at night. Yeah, fasting isn't really drinking juice, it's water. It's fasting is abstaining from all uh, food products, actually. Real, I mean, real fasting, right? That's not true. Mm, okay. There's all kinds of ways you can fast. Actually, I would, I would say if you want to do a water fast, you're endangering your life. Because we're so malnourished right now that... You do a, uh, a a water fast with as, as few nutritious uh, stuff as you have from your food. Probably going to end up with a deficiency in less than a week. It's going to be life threatening. But you know, in all of the um, in. Uh Scripture speaks of, you know, there's a time for everything, obviously, but um, it's important to start with the mind, you know, to realize that, because a lot of the Eastern religions have brought a lot of the, um, kind of like, uh, you know, 
just self-improvement kind of stuff. And uh, I don't know. It's you. You know what I mean. People can get uh, starting with the body. They they become uh, the body does have to be sensitive, but the mind that's where it must begin, not with the body. Cause you, you tell you what, Bruce, before, right. before you get some wild opinion of this thing, why don't you at least watch what this fella did? I mean, I haven't put out my stuff because I keep it pretty much to myself. But uh, No, I'm not well, condemning fasting. I don't believe it. Yeah. I'm not condemning. I, I'm I, I, you know, attitude. I'm a sound advocate. You know, I don't fast, right? I don't fast. I've never fasted in my life. Uh, I admit that. To, to me, fasting is, you know, I can't eat while I'm sleeping at night. But but um, to me, I, I'm a strong advocate in the sound mind is a sound body, right? And, and when, when I'm exercising at least semi-regularly and going out for my daily walks and doing a brisk walk, Every couple of you know, every couple of days or three or four times a week, I can think when I'm moving and healthy. I can think a lot more clearly. I really can, and I really notice a huge difference. That and I become my mind becomes stagnant when I have long sedentary periods where I'm not exercising, I'm not eating right, I'm not working out, I'm not getting out in the fresh air, and you really do become. Uh, um, you, you change. Your mind changes, and you can't think as clearly, and and you can't think as critically. And and that's a sound mind is a sound body, or a sound body is a sound mind. The two go hand in hand. Uh, I mean, I understand that Peter said that much exercise profits little, but he's addressing the Greeks who would spend eight to ten hours a day in the gymnasium exercising their bodies. Well, which was very common in Greek culture at the time. There's another and thing I find, I find fascinating, too, Bill. We got down here, guess one is saying that breakfast is very important. Well, I would say that that's not true at all. Eat when you feel like you're eating. Breakfast is just another thing that the Jews are are just pushing. I mean, you've got to get that, you know, get your food in the morning, get your breakfast cereal. It's the most important thing of the day. Bullshit. Well, you can hardly go find a good breakfast without a pig, trying to push pig's ass in your face, you know? I'm being honest. I rarely eat breakfast. I do know that, Robert. I spend time at your house. I don't get a, an orange is fine or a little piece of pastry, but it better be a little piece. I'm not a big breakfast eater, but, but we're all different. I haven't right? been for years. Hmm? I haven't been for years. Right. I wait till my, my, uh, I, I feel naturally hungry, which is more towards lunch. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the way. I, I wake up, I drink two cups of coffee every morning, I drink a glass of juice and, and first or, or a bottle of water, and then I drink two cups of coffee. And sometimes I have a small, pe- a very small piece of pastry, that, like those um, bite-sized strudels I like. I, I'm kind of addicted to, but I'll just have one. And, and um, that's I don't eat until 11, 12 o'clock, usually 12 o'clock. I'm interested with, uh, uh, I guess it's John Corsican Sword here. He's, he's claiming he's a vegan. Um, so you do no no um, milk products whatsoever and no uh, meat. What, what about protein? I found that uh, I did the vegan for a year and gave it up. It was just hor- hor- horrific on my body. 
And what about B-complex vitamins? Nuts didn't help me. I just went nuts. I, I eat my meat first every meal, and, and I'll eat two pounds of it if they let me, if I can afford it. <laughs> and then I eat my vegetables. <laughs> no, I'm just curious because I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I just, it, it, I basically became unhealthy, and I was, I was raw food and everything. It just didn't work. Oh, you eat fish, okay. Because if I if I had protein every once in a while, I was fine. I, I couldn't do it. You know, the, the, the best thing I found, though, is if you're going to fast, definitely uh, bring in the bees pollen, get some bees pollen, because that's a very easy way to get that protein. It only takes a teaspoon a day. Of bees pollen? The bees pollen, yeah. A lot of people don't like the taste, but I really don't. To me, the taste of stuff is, like, irrelevant. I eat a lot of honey, and I've eaten unfiltered honey, but I don't think I've ever eaten just bees pollen. Well, you really don't need it. You eat meat. But I'm saying when you're fasting, the big thing I found that was lacking, if I want to exercise or run or do something, was... Right. Yeah, you need that protein if you're, I mean, if, if you're working out. I could feel it. This t The last time I fasted, I, I, I had the bees protein, and I could have gone on for over 40 days easy. I went... Um, 42 days, because I do six weeks. But I, that's why I was trying to figure out, well, how can you go longer? You can't go longer than that unless you have that that uh, that beast bone. So I, but I, at least I can't, because I don't have enough meat on my body. You know, by the time you're done this, you've absorbed a lot of meat. Now, Pro think he's going to get some meat off of his body if he continues on this. He's kind of meaty. He could afford it. Yeah. Well, well, if we have, I'm going to end this program, and we could go down to the open house, right? But, but it's almost three hours, unless we have something else important to talk about. Well, we've got, I probably should have ended the program an hour ago. <laughs> I like that because Mike's a fatty. Well, well, thanks everybody for coming and, and listening tonight, and and um, praise Yahweh. Good night. Amen.